What a day, what a day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two. Hope everybody had a great Valentine's Day yesterday. We are here coming off the John Mad Memorial. Last night in Oakland, if anybody went to that and would like to share that with us, we'd love to hear from you as we open up hour number two, brought to you by Modelo. You know, every Friday I have a bucket of Modelo's. This Friday I'll be in Arizona visiting my son in college. For the first time, I go see my son in college at Arizona State. So I'm looking forward to that. So he's not old enough to have a bucket of Modelo's with me, but I will have a bucket of Bell. Yeah, Bobby's going, sure he's not, sure he's not. Well, I don't know. That's why I'm going to check in on him in college. The other one in Oklahoma, he's old enough to have a bucket of Modelo's or two. But the young one, the young gun at Arizona State, wife and I going to check in. It's time to go check in now. Yeah, no, yeah, we're gonna we gotta go check in. He's doing great, grades are good, but we gotta go check in. See what's going on at that school. So that's where I'll be on Friday and we're to do that and then oh I'm coming back to see Slash Miles Kennedy the conspirators the great Frankie Sidoris Jr. our friend who we had on the show he's also the lead guitar player for Wolfgang Van Halen they're playing over at Virgin inside the old joint speaking of that 24 years ago tonight I met my wife randomly at the Hard Rock Hotel Resort and Casino at the Center Bar if she was three feet away from me, I never would have met her. I believe in fate. That's the night it started for me. My whole life changed that night. So we're playing the Stones today because if the Stones canceled that show, which they very well could have, uh, it never happens. I don't meet my wife at a gas station, a grocery store, anywhere else. So I believe in fate. So I celebrate that. My wife and I don't celebrate Valentine's Day. We wait for tonight because that's the night we met. So very thankful to then the once Hard Rock, which is now Virgin, and we're going to go see a show Saturday night when we get back. We're going in and out to ASU and go see our good friend Slash play. And that should be a fun show. And then it's Countdown to Metallica and Billy Joel back-to-back. Mark Davis built it. And now Metallica and Billy Joel have a football stadium to play in, which I find that to be fascinating. We played a lot of sound earlier on in the show from the John Madden event last night. Seems like everybody who went had a great time. How could you not? From the tailgating to hear the speakers, and that's a lot of fun. I want to get back to our final day here of looking back on the Super Bowl. Zach Taylor getting a lot of heat for that late third and one play when they didn't give the ball to Joe Mixum at running back. Here's how he explained it. Yeah, they were getting a little softer, you know, and we thought we could we could steal first down there and then come back and, and take some shots at the end zone. Um, just didn't work out. Didn't work out. That was a disaster. You don't go down in flames and lose the Super Bowl not giving it to your best player. Period. You remember how upset I got for the Raiders on first and goal at the nine, and the final choice for the season was Zay Jones into triple coverage, and Waller and Renfro weren't even in the end zone. I mean, that to me was mind-blowing. I don't know who, who gets blamed for that or not, but again, that was how, how could I host a radio show on the flagship station of the Raiders when the final play of the game, no one got in the end zone? I mean, that, that's the same thing that happened to the Bengals. Third and one, they give it to their fourth string, third string back, and they end up losing the game. If they get the first down with Joe Mixum, who threw a touchdown in that game, then they get a fresh set of downs with two timeouts. They easily get in field goal range, easily. 
They got a must, and then they could take shots at the end zone and win the game. So you better believe on Sports Talk Radio, we're going to call out plays that make no sense. First and goal at the nine, spiking the football and never throwing it in the end zone to me. Raiders should have beat the Bengals. We wouldn't have been talking about the Bengals. Bengals would have been eliminated. And how does the Bengals and their coach, Zach Taylor, deer in the headlights, they had second and one at midfield and they couldn't get a yard with Joe Burrow and Mixum not on the field. And the coach doesn't get heat for that? This coach, Zach Taylor, was lucky to have a job. He won six games in two years. He gets all the way to the Super Bowl. The team has the lead for most of the game. They get the ball back with 125 to go, which is an eternity for Joe Barrow. And they can't pick up a yard on second, third, and fourth down. I don't know what to tell you on that. Sean McVay talked about those elite players, the special players he got to win the game. You know, I think we've been able to bring really good people in our building, and that's what it's about, surrounding yourself with people better than you, and, and I think that's how you grow, and these special players really set the tone. I tweeted out earlier today at like 5 in the morning. God, what was I doing up at 5 in the morning? And the tweet was about the future and what teams should do in the NFL. I'm talking all teams do in the NFL, and here's the tweet. The NFL topic now becomes either building through the draft or going after established stars similar to what the Rams did. The majority of teams will follow the draft model. Only a few teams have the chops to go all in on trades and free agents. Risk-reward. I have no, op- uh, no idea what the Raiders are going to do with their first-round draft pick. It's not a great pick. It's not a top 10. It's not a top 20 pick. So might they move that pick? Hopefully we've been working on getting Dave Ziegler, the new GM, on the show. He's not going to give me that information, so I'm not going to ask it. Why, why would I ask the new GM, what are you going to do with your first-round pick? What do you think the answer is going to be there? But I just wonder the philosophy of what he wants to do in year one. Does he want to do in year one similar to what Les Snead does, which is trade his draft picks and get established players? Or does he want to reset the, the program here and build with his players in the draft? We'll find out soon enough. Uh, McVay has Cooper Cup, who had the breakout season, and he loved coaching him. He made such an impact on me. Guys like Cooper Cup or why you coach, I just feel so blessed to be, be around somebody as special as him. I thought it was also classy that McVay commented on Odell Beckham Jr., who got the Rams off to a very hot start on with that first touchdown. It made it a little bit more difficult. My heart goes out to him, but I love, love Odell. Really grateful for all the many contributions he made. We wouldn't be chance without him. One more from McVay. As McVay talked about it, he was mic'd up. And we had that. He was mic'd up. There's a little bit of music here. But on the final play of the game, Sean McVay, knowing that they were in the shotgun, listen to this. Less than a yard to gain on fourth down with 43 seconds remaining. Hey, what else could you want? What else could you want? Right now, let's go. Let's go. Hey, Aaron, this is the moment right now. For the world championship right here. to throw for it. He's hit. He flings it away on fourth down. Aaron Donald got there. Yeah! Yeah! I knew it! The greatest of all time does it in the biggest moment of Super Bowl 56. Aaron! Aaron! Hey! Come here! Hey, I knew We're world champs! Yes, sir! We're world champs! you would make that play! We're world champs! you would make that play! That was really cool. The coach called it. It was obvious that once they were in the shotgun, McVay was going nuts, and he knew that his best player would make a great play. That's a big moment in Super Bowl history. 
you know, being mic'd up and having the ability to say that. And one more soundbite from Cooper Cup. Listen to the amount of hours that he worked with the brand-new quarterback, Matthew Stafford. You know, Stafford and I have spent a ton of time together. Just the extra time outside of the obligatory time was, you know, north of 500 hours this, this season. And so you spend that much time together just being able to talk football, talk about the preparation. You know, you get in those moments and, you know, it just becomes second nature. Hear what he said, 500 hours outside the regular work. Uh, that's a really amazing number. I think that's the strength of Derek Carr. Let me make that clear. Carr to the park. Remember when Carr takes everyone to that park in Henderson and they get all that extra work in with Zay Jones and all those guys? That's what Carr does. I mean, Carr's fantastic at that. I don't know. I don't, let me say that. I don't know of a, a quarterback in the league that works with his teammates more than Carr. I'm sure there might be one or two, but I can't name it. Maybe it was Stafford and Cup. But the way the, the dedication that Derek Carr has in the park outside the building in the offseason, I think it's second to none. 702 365 9200. Chris Meyer is going to check in in a minute. Fish in Berkeley. How are you, Fish? JT, first happy anniversary. I think. Thank you, man. Man, relationships like that, that those are important. And, you know, on a side note, one of my favorite Stone songs. She's a rainbow, so maybe you mm. and the missus can, you know, put that put that on the yeah, other. Yeah, we'll, we'll crank that up tonight. We're gonna have some stones <laughs> rocking at my house tonight. That's for sure. Oh, beautiful! Well, check out if you don't know, she's a rainbow. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough, or am I should say, I'm, I've been able to watch games in person um, uh-huh. before they moved in '82, and I had season tickets when they came back in '95, and maybe there was mist in the air because. I looked up at my uh, old seats, 109 under the overhang, and then the seats I had when they came back in 95 up at 301. And I think that maybe it was missed because I had to bat some moisture out of my eye, mm. JT. It was, wow, it was symbolic. And, and anyway, before I get all worked up, I just want to make a couple of uh, observations. Henry, the killer Lawrence, belting out a song. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is symbolic not only of the legacy of the player that we know, but our fan base. The name of the song was Look Beyond My Faults. That's the name of the song. And if that isn't John Madden, look at the ragtag assembly of players he had. Look Beyond My Faults. And that's us as a fan base. I looked at, I looked at everybody in the, in the stands, seen some old faces actually seeing some new faces that I've uh, gotten to know in Vegas, but all the old people that uh, I've shared so many memories with. And, wow, in spite of all of our faults, we all have them. The common denominator, the bond, is our beloved Raiders. And it was just a good opportunity to go back one more time and sit there in that hollow ground, J.T., that is hollowed ground there. So many memories. Legacies have been built. And, you know, here I go. I'm, I'm, I'm about to ramble, so I'm going to hang up because, you know, I know you got other people to get to. But, JT, I just wanted to comment uh, on one more thing. On that stage, there was Raiders of the Past with Henry Lawrence, mm-hmm. an unheralded player, but I feel very recognizable. And he had current coaches. You had two people from two different mediums, of media, radio and TV, because you had a legend up there with Leslie Visser. And the impact 
that Madden had on all those different people from all these different walks of life. In a bigger sense, that's the Raiders. You know, whether people are Raider fans or not, they have been affected by the Raiders. If you love football, you've been touched by the Raiders one way or another. Yeah. And it was just a great night. Excellent. And JT, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sign off, but, man, thank you, and happy you anniversary, and enjoy Thank yourself. you very much. Appreciate it, and I appreciate you calling in on how much the night meant to you with John Madden last night. It was a really big deal that Ron Rivera was there. And Ron Rivera talked about, and to paraphrase, Ron was talking about how he wasn't winning a lot of games as a young coach, and he asked to go see Coach Madden. So he went up to Pleasanton, and Coach Madden, before he came, said, you need to do some homework and prepare why you lost the games that you lost, all the games that you lost, and explain why. When I was a player, I got the opportunity to get on the bus. We were in the playoffs. We are getting ready to play New Orleans. And a few weeks before that, I got leg whip, fractured my leg. I had a plateau fracture just below the joint, the knee joint. And I missed a game. I was getting ready for the playoffs. And coach comes in, he had heard I was going to play. So he comes in and he sees me in the locker room. He says, hey, come over here, kid. So we start to talk. He said, how's the knee? I said, well, it's pretty good. The doctor said I should be able to play on Sunday. He said, really, did it hurt? I said, oh, it hurt a lot, coach. It really did. So he does the game Sunday. He talks about me. He mentions me playing with a broken leg. And after the game, I get home that evening, and my mom calls me, and she's scared to death. I said, what's wrong? She goes, well, Coach Madden said you were playing with a broken leg. I thought you said you were fine. I said, Mom, I'm okay. Trust me. That's just Coach giving me a little props and making me seem like I'm some sort of tough guy. But he had this way of, you know, expressing himself. And it was stuff like that that you really appreciated because he really did know how to make you look good, especially to your mom. Really good soundbite. And the story I was also telling about how he wasn't going for it enough, and Coach Madden asked him to explain why. He comes up there with a 15-page report. John Madden didn't want to look at it. He says, that was for you. Asked him to do his homework so he would have it. And John Madden basically told him to be more aggressive. And then that's where the nickname came, became Riverboat Ron. He started going for it on fourth down. Then he always started doing it, and John Madden told him to back off because he was doing it too much. What a tie from Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Washington Commanders, and then the head coach, Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs, to be able to speak at that event. Those are important events for those guys. And Andy Reid will someday go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and have a bust near John Madden. 702-365-9200. We'll get to you in a moment. My friend Chris Myers, kind enough to get back to me, the great broadcaster from the NFL on Fox and the anchor of Daytona 500 coverage coming up. Chris, thanks for doing this. I hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. What were some of your biggest takeaways? I uh, loved it. Well, yeah, it was exciting. Uh, the underdog Bengals uh, came to play. I know that around the country, a lot of people rooting for them that didn't have an interest in that weren't Bengal fans uh, because they were the underdogs and, and kind of the anti-superstar team. But the better team won. Sorry, there were a few strange penalties missed or overcalled in that game. You hate to have that have an effect because it was mostly a well-played, clean game and not a lot of flags. But in the end, I, I thought going in defensively, the Rams, that would be the difference, and that's really what it was. And then Cooper Cup was clutched with 
with Stafford before uh, the injuries uh, hit on the offensive line, excuse me, on the uh, receiver side for the Rams. So, look, we had a tremendous run in the, in the playoffs in terms yeah. of exciting games and close finishes, and I'm, I'm just glad the Super Bowl was, was that kind of game. It looked at the first half like maybe the Rams might, might blow them out, but the Bengals uh, hung in there. And uh, I, I thought Zach Taylor, you know, his first-year head coach Super Bowl appearance in that role, kind of like when Sean McVay went to his first Super Bowl, there were some decisions he'd probably like to have back. But ultimately, uh, it was a terrific Super Bowl. And, and the Rams, you know, for all the criticism of going out and getting the veterans like Von Miller and Jalen Ramsey and, and trading for Stafford, they also drafted well, you know, and they built that team that way without first-round picks, drafting guys like uh, Cooper Cup, obviously, who Van Jefferson, uh, some of the other players that uh, were key players in their victory. Chris Myers joins us. Chris, you call so many games now on the NFL on Fox. What's it like when you're calling a game and there's literally no penalties? It's a game where you're in the booth and you're saying, wow, this is a clean game. And then the final four minutes of the game, the flags start flying. Yeah, it's well, first of all, you enjoy it calling a game. And I called two Bengal games this year and three Ram games. You, you love it when there aren't a lot of penalties because just everybody, the rhythm, the players, the fans, and, of course, we have things like commercial breaks and, and promos and, and replays and things that you want to get in and your analyst wants to make his points and set up the game and, and address what we think are the, the, the fans most interested in for both teams through the through the course of the game and their strategies and, and adjustments. But you do get a sense, and, and, you know, we pay attention too and get some data from Mike Pereira and Dean Blandino on what crews call the most or how, do they have more pass interference is this one more more on the holding side what trends are up in and around the league so we we try to be aware of that but yeah just like the old umpire rule you just want them to call it consistently and and i think that's where maybe this crew missed and and it shouldn't be a headline in the game because i think the rams would have won anyway obviously they missed on the downfield face mask uh that would have been offensive pass interference or whatever on the touchdown to higgins but then at the end i thought one of those calls you probably would let it go and the other one that was obvious, but geez, when you're giving your team a first and goal in a critical situation, um, that's upsetting. So yeah, it does affect uh, the, the broadcast and uh, you know, it's easy to second guess, but my big thing is with the NFL is look, if there's a replay official, we're supposed to have video assist. If everybody else can see it, if we can all see it on replay and they should see it, they should be able to stop the game and adjust the ideas to, to get it right. And not worry about dragging the game too long or worry about challenges. Just get it right if we all see it and they should see it. And, and let's do it that way because that's fair. You're not going to see everything, but at least if, if it's visible for the world to see with all the cameras at a Super Bowl, then the officials should be able to use that as well. Chris Myers is our guest. Chris, I'm going to remember the Super Bowl when the Bengals had a 20-16 to 16 lead, so the Rams can't win the game or tie the game. they got to score a touchdown here. They can't get a field goal. They go on a 15-play, 79-yard uh, drive in 448. That's one of the great drives in Super Bowl history. It's in the top ten. I wouldn't put it with Montana against Cincinnati. Brady with their vanitary game-time field goal because those great drives historically lead to a game-winning field goal. Then a few you remember the John Taylor touchdown or a big moment, but I got to give Stafford and Cup credit. Eli Apple's on the field. All of a sudden, it's like a light bulb went off with everybody. Let's go after this guy. He can't stay with the MVP, arguably the MVP of the league, even though Rodgers got it. And then the flow came into Stafford where he was really confident, and I think that was his legacy drive of his future Hall of Fame career. Yeah, and I don't know Hall of Fame yet, but you're right. Maybe future for Stafford. 
But yes, that drive was not only defining for Stafford and the Rams, but I think for Sean McVay, for all the love and excitement and and generation. And and I think I felt that at the time uh, that, boy, this is a signature drive for both Stafford and McVay. And he called the right plays, including that fourth down run, which they had to Cooper Cup coming across. And they had set that up earlier in the game, the look of that, the way they moved Cooper Cup uh, along. And and you make a good point about it had to be for a touchdown. And and that's why those penalties at the end, I think they would have gotten it anyway, but that that gets in the way of of that outstanding drive that the Rams had to have in, in a Super Bowl situation. And the Bengals, and that's where I thought Zach Taylor on the other side, I know his quarterback was getting the hell beat out of him, but you, you, you got to use your best stuff. And just like the Rams went back to, to Stafford and, and Cup, even though Cup was double covered or whatever they did, they moved him around. They got him on Apple, especially the Rams couldn't run the ball. And at some point you got to be realistic. And, and I know like, Hey, let's throw the, even if it's short passes to reserve tight ends, because you didn't have Higby and obviously Beckham went out, but yeah, the, the Bengals probably needed their offense to do a little bit more, not even a score, but just as you said, keep the ball, make it even more difficult, take time off the clock, whatever, knowing that the Rams, because of that botched extra point, needed a touchdown and not a, not a field goal. And by the way, I went back historically, to my knowledge, Hecker of the NFL, outstanding punter and holder, for, has never missed a snap that was his fault. In other words, not a bad snap before in history, and obviously it happens at what could have been the most critical situation and, and may be critical for some people who have wagered on the, on the game and had a certain number of points going one way or another. Chris Myers joins us. So, Chris, you know I'm from New York. I'm East Coast, Biggie Smalls. You're West Coast L.A., Dr. Dre. Halftime there, <laughs> what'd you think? What'd you take? Well, well, I do like, that iconic right. performance. <laughs> Yeah, well, first of all, halftimes have become uh, their own show. I, I think we could have stayed maybe a little more current. I mean, it was a little bit back there. I had We had Ice Cube in person uh, the week before on Sunday at the Coliseum when we ran the, uh, the Bud Light, excuse me, the Bush Light Clash. So it was entertaining. I, I just think it's hard to please everybody with the wide, massive audience you have for the Super Bowl telecast. So if you're going to do that and take some time, why not have, you know, three different acts that, that cover different kinds of genres or, or musical taste or generations? I think that's probably the best way to go. But yeah, I'll never complain about a halftime show because a nice musical act in between the tenseness of, of the Super Bowl. And by the way, the crowd, JT, I was a little disappointed. I, I just thought, you know, I know there's corporate, but of course you had Bengal fans and mm-hmm. some Ram fans. But I, I, I just didn't feel coming through the TV when I watched the TV copy of this that the crowd was just as excitable in big moments as, as some Super Bowl crowds in the past. Or maybe it was just because of the kind of playoffs we had and the great finishes with teams playing in their own stadium. But, but that is an element that's important to the feel of a game. No, Chris, you nailed it. You've covered so many Super Bowls, too, on the sidelines there. A two-question follow-up. First off, what is it like when you're on the sidelines in a Super Bowl and that that delay is so long? It's a 45-minute break. When you come out and you see the players warming up again, how they have to go from that long delay to get warmed up because T. Higgins scored really quickly right out of the gate. All of a sudden, the Rams are looking around, and they're getting jumped by the Bengals. And then the follow-up on that would be what you said. I think the Super Bowl is getting away from fans going to the game. It's becoming more and more corporate, and many of them were outpriced in Los Angeles. 
Uh, yeah, and and ticket prices for and not only tickets, but the parking prices were became oh. ridiculous. It's something you have to you just have to be realistic about for people to attend the game, and and you really need to have a, you should have a full house and a crowd in, in attendance. Yeah, that the halftime delay they ha- they have to keep that under control for players because I know sometimes you know the Bengals used it to their advantage, like they did the week before with Kansas City, although this was a little longer. They came out and it was a quick, you know, shock to the Jalen Ramsey, by the way. And I, I think for a guy who talks as much and is paid as much and is supposed to be the best corner, I know it's a risk-reward position, but he just does not live up to the hype like Aaron Donald does uh, on a Ram defense. So, yeah, that, that does have an effect on players. And I can tell you as a sideline reporter, too, you're down there, you, there's kind of a drain. Or, yeah, you, get, you need a break, but then you try to talk to the coach uh, before he runs out, obviously the Fox policy was always we covered. And I was there. Look, I was there when the Falcons were beaten up on the Patriots, and I had to deal with Bill Belichick at the half and worked that sideline before uh, the Patriots came back in, in the overtime, only overtime Super Bowl, and that, that greatest comeback there that they they won. And and there, you know, you sense that I we could see now. You have mics on guys that you play back later, a Sean McVay saying, "Hey, Aaron Donald's going to make the play." But you could see, and I could see in that Super Bowl a sense of calm, even though. They were down, and they were confident. And I think the Rams had that same feel to them. Obviously, I wasn't on that sideline in this case. But I think they had it simply because of what they had been through in the previous uh, couple of playoff games. They came back. They were down 10 against the 49ers, had a big lead. But then the Bucks came back and tied them, and they had to beat them on the road with a big throw to Cooper Cup. So it was all relative, whether it was a lengthy halftime or not, just the comfort level of the Rams at whatever stage they were in the game. Chris, look forward to talking to you in the offseason about NASCAR. Very quick, with about a minute to go here, comes off the Super Bowl, the NFL, the Super Bowl of NASCAR. What to look forward to with the coverage coming up? Well, it's the next-gen car, which is a newer car, made to look more like the Ford Mustang, the Chevy Camaro, the Toyota Camry that people drive. It's supposed to be safer, more economical, and actually give a little more even across, so give the advantage more, put it more in the hands of the driver, which is always a tough thing at Daytona. As you know, you've been there two and a half miles around. You go 200 miles an hour. Uh, there's some luck involved, avoiding a big crash. The story I think we'll be watching this time is some of the great champions of the sport, like Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, uh, Kyle Larson, guys who've won the championship in NASCAR but have yet to win a Daytona 500. Brad Keselowski, another one, Martin Truex Jr. Can they break through? Because it's a terrible thing. At least drivers tell you, no matter what they've done in their career, how successful they've been, they don't win the Daytona 500, the great American race, then they really haven't done it all in their sport, thinking of what, obviously, Aaron Donald felt getting a ring as a Ram and, and Whitworth as well for the Rams. So that's how the drivers will approach this year's running of the Daytona 500. Follow them all over social media, the underscore Chris Myers on Twitter, ChrisMyersSports.com, and he's on the gram, Chris Myers Fox. Right. Thank you, Chris. All right, take care, JT. Always good talking to you. Always great talking to you, Chris. And check out the Daytona 500. I don't want to say no event. I've been known to exaggerate, but Mount Rushmore moment for me. In all the sports, going to my first Daytona 500. I've been to six, and they're incredible. And I explain it one way. It's what got me from the end of football season to baseball season or football season again. Daytona 500 is a bucket list, and we'll talk about it throughout the week. 702-365-9200. A lot more to get to on the NBA. James Harden for Ben Simmons. Great deal or bust for one of the teams. I'll tell you who I think got the raw end coming up next.
Joe Burrow under center on first and 10 from the 25. Burrow now scrambling. Fires deep downfield for Higgins. Oh, Chucks baby! Up, pushes nice. over his defender. Catches the ball. <laughs> runs it into the end zone. There's no There's penalty no, flag. No. A 75-yard touchdown. Burrow to Higgins he, as he knocked over Jalen Ramsey yeah. and ran it into the end zone to give the Bengals the lead. Bengals radio, that was a big play, 75 yards. It should have been offensive pass interference on Higgins as he grabbed the face mask of Jalen Ramsey. So yesterday, every Monday after the Super Bowl, I watched the game privately, focus on the game, take a look at it. And you know, when I saw that play again, I understand why the refs didn't get it because both the receiver and the corner needed to go find the ball. So when Ramsey's face moved around, a referee... I always say this, referees are usually between the age of 40, 5, and 60. They're not going to be able to run with Jalen Ramsey and take T. Higgins. And they're not going to be able to see from the other side of the field what happened there. So they got that one wrong. And then even my dad, who I talk to every day, my dad says, well, what would you think of that play? And they seem like they made it up for the Bengals later in the game. And my dad and I, since my dad was my coach when I was six years old, he always talked about makeup calls. That was, in, that was ingrained in me as a kid. Home games, maybe because my dad went to the Knicks when they won the championship, and he's a Yankee fan. He always talks about the makeup call. And I went, what's, what's really the definition of a makeup call? In theory is the referees get something wrong that could affect the game. Not a holding call in the second quarter. That happens all the time. But a 75-yard touchdown, believe me, those referees at halftime or during a timeout, they come together and talk. They talk. They don't stand on the other end of the field. They come together. And do they talk about getting it wrong? Yeah. If they got it wrong and everybody's, you know, moaning about it, would they throw a flag late in the game to make up for it? What's well, the perfect show to say that? Because that's what the history of the Raiders has been. The Raiders get screwed by the refs more than any team in the history of the NFL. No one will debate that. Nobody. So how many times had the Raiders been in that situation where there was a makeup call? And a makeup call came against the Raiders. So on the holding call on Logan Thomas late in that game as a linebacker on Cooper Cup over the middle of the field, most people think they shouldn't have thrown that flag. But you can't put your hands on Cooper Cup. You can't. That's the one guy you can't put it on. He's the biggest star in the league. And they got the makeup call. And I'm going to remember this Super Bowl for one name, Eli Apple. You imagine what McVay and Cup were thinking when Eli Apple went wide with Cup on single coverage. Uh, yeah, right, Bobby. Bobby, you're rubbing your hands together. They were probably drooling, going, "Man, we're gonna throw the ball." <laughs> we got Cooper Cup, who had the greatest season ever, better than Jerry Rice, and Eli Apple's playing him one on one. How many times in the Raider Bengal playoff game did I say on Twitter and on the pregame to Eric Allen, "Find Eli Apple and go at him every play." Every play. I don't care if it's Zay Jones, Hunter Renfro, and I thought the Raiders got away from it. I wish the Raiders had a chance to play the Bengals one more time in the fourth quarter. I think they would have won. I'm not saying the Raiders would have made it to the Super Bowl, but no one at that time thought that the Bengals were going to the Super Bowl. All right, Howard Balzer, good friend of the show. We have him on at least once a month. I saw him several times on Radio Row and at the Lee Steinberg party. The Hall of Fame voter. As Cliff Branch gets in, he's kind enough to join us here on Raider Nation Radio. And, Howard, let's start off talking about this. How do you think L.A. pulled it off as a Super Bowl city? Well, they did, I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, uh, 
you know, it's so big. There's so much stuff going on in so many different places. And I think there was probably some pockets of the city that, or, or the area, I guess I should say, that he wondered if they even really knew the Super Bowl was going on, but maybe that's to be expected. But, um, you know, st- stadiums, uh, and, you know, an amazing place. And, and uh, I'm, I'll say this, I, I don't know how, how many years it's going to be, four or five, whatever it is, but surely there's, you know, uh, Los Angeles will be a part of the regular rotation uh, for the Super Bowl. Well, we're back where you are in Arizona coming up next year, and they're going to have the Waste Management open the same weekend yeah. as the Super Bowl. That has got to be – it's gonna that's gonna, that rotation is going to remain for years to come, decades to come, but with all these new stadiums coming in, Arizona's got to be really excited to have Waste Management in the Super Bowl, Scottsdale, Tempe, Glendale, Phoenix. That's going to be a monster next year. Oh, my goodness. It's hard to even imagine with the, both those things going on at the same time. I, I started wondering if maybe they'd – petition to have uh, the, the golf tournament maybe the week after and not have it at the same time. Although I have heard rumblings that if it remains the same week that they might do what they did with the farmers tournament a couple of weeks ago on NFC on the NFL championship mm-hmm. game weekend, they might actually start the tournament on Wednesday and finish it on Saturday. So it's not going up right against uh, the game, but yeah, it'll, it'll, <laughs> if it's the same, it's, it's going to be a wild week in the Phoenix area, no doubt about it. Howard, let's get to the game. Were you surprised that Mixon didn't get the ball on that final drive? Cincinnati didn't have to do much. They were at midfield. They needed a yard. They got a really good kicker. And after that, if they pick up a first down, I think they're going to get in field goal range and maybe take some shots downfield. It almost looked like Zach Taylor kind of froze up there on that final drive. How'd you see it? I, I, I was definitely surprised. Hey, there was that. There was a situation on the opening drive that the Bengals had where they had third and one and Mixon wasn't in the game. I believe, though, you know, from, you know, it's, it's tough to see everything, but I was, you know, I, I heard that on one of them, I think it was the last one, that they wanted to get Mixon into the game, but the decision maybe happened a little too quick and the way it all developed and the clock is going and they were afraid to get a delay of the game penalty and they didn't want to have to use another timeout at that moment. And so, but yeah, how you know, how you don't have your best running back in the game in such a crucial situation is, is pretty surprising, but you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot of different plays that went a certain way. I mean, you know, earlier in that quarter when Tyler Boyd, who never drops passes, never drops the ball and he dropped one on third and nine uh, that, uh, you know, very, very possibly would have gone, you know, would have made a first down and if nothing worse, it would have kept clock moving but it went incomplete. So uh, just, just one of those, you know, wild games, but I'll, I'll say this JT overall and granted, you know, whenever anything happens, a team wins. And of course, a, uh, you know, a great drive at the end. And so now everyone's hailing Matthew Stafford for a comeback and he's deserving in Cooper cup. But to me, without Aaron Donald and without that Rams defense that sacked Joe Burrow six times in the second half, I mean, everyone's Mm -hmm. talking about seven sacks, but six of those were in the second half. And after that touchdown to T. Higgins, the Bengals only had 75 yards on 31 plays the rest of the game, and they were one for eight on third down in the second half, three for 14 overall, one for three on fourth down. And so I think without that Rams defense, you know, led by Aaron Donald, I – 
you know, that last drive wouldn't have mattered because, because that defense kept the Rams in the game when they weren't doing much on offense either, especially after Odell Beckham Jr. went out with a knee injury. I just couldn't believe Howard Balls was our guest at Eli Apple was straight up man-to-man on Cooper Cup. Are you kidding me? Eli Apple's been a really inconsistent player for a long period of time, and he deserves credit for playing well at times in the postseason and probably peaking in his career at the right time. But Stafford, McVay, and Cup must have been licking their chops when they saw him go wide. The penalty and then the back shoulder throw against Apple, I just think that the the Bengals got to do a better job double-teaming him, doing something. I know he took it really wide to the sideline on that back shoulder throw, but you got to get Eli Apple a little more help. Would you agree? No, I, I would definitely agree. And when you look at that game, the way it developed, after Beckham went out, Cup was a non-factor after that. He'd only had four catches in the game up to that point until the last drive. And then he has four receptions on it. Of course, the huge fourth-and-one run, where he made a nice cut where it looked like it might end up going for a loss. And so, yeah, but you would think that in that situation where the Bengals knew that the Rams had to score a touchdown, a field goal was not going to help them there, and they had to go to Cooper Cup. That was their choice because, I mean, I, I think you, you, you just make sure the Cup is not the guy that beats you. And if it ends up being, you know, you know Bryce Hopkins or, or Van Jefferson or whoever, if one of those guys beats you, so be it but you don't let Cooper Cup beat you in that drive, and he did, and that's, that's your ballgame. Howard Balzer joins us. Before we get to the current Hall of Fame class, I want to talk to you about legacy. You and I are both big legacy guys, and I think the legacy play for the Rams was enormous. Von Miller's second Super Bowl. Cooper Cup has a better season combined with postseason than anybody ever, including Jerry Rice. I think it's the game that gets Stafford the gold jacket because his numbers, he's already close to 50,000 yards. He could get close to 70,000 when it's all said and done with the Super Bowl, maybe another one. And then Jalen Ramsey as a corner that everybody believes has Super Bowl, and now he has it in Hall of Fame talent. And that could be the game and the legacy play. Talk to me about legacy and with Whitworth. How many future Hall of Famers do you think are in consideration that were on the field to play? It's, you know, it's a really good question because I think a lot of the guys you mentioned have been really excellent players. I'm not sure how many rise to Hall of Fame level. I mean, we know Aaron Donald is. I mean, there's no question about that. But I think there'll be interesting discussion about some of those guys, you know, you know, especially Stafford. Does one Super Bowl all of a sudden turn the tide? I mean, I mean, Eli, Eli Manning, what's the discussion going to be on him? What's the discussion going to be on Phillip Rivers? And, and when I look at, you know, at, at this game, Yes, they had the drive at the end. There's no doubt about it. You can't take that away from them. But overall, I mean, the Rams only the Rams had 313 yards in the entire mm-hmm. game and 4.7 yards per play. And so I'm not. I think that's going to be a heck of a, discuss, a discussion. I don't sit here right now as a Hall of Fame voter and say yes because of that. Matthew Stafford's in the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying he's not, but mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that it's automatic either. Walk me through this Hall of Fame class. I was able to see you the night Cliff Branch got the news. Big for us out west here in Vegas for the Raiders. But the rest of the class, I, I realized Coach Vermeil would be a lock to get in. Bryant Young, Baselli, Sam Mills, Leroy Butler, Richard Seymour. These were all guys that I thought were, yeah, at times Hall of Famers. You're a voter. You look at the numbers and crunch it a little bit more. What's been the feedback on this class? 
it's, it's been interesting. I know I've heard some rumblings. Well, there's not a lot of flash in this class and all that, but it was, it was like making up for guys who have maybe been overlooked. And, you know, the one thing that, that kind of does hit me, uh, JT, is when you, guy, when you get a guy like, you know, Sam Mills, who wasn't a semi, even a semifinalist for his first 15 years of eligibility. And Leroy Butler was in the same same situation. Then all of a sudden they become one. They become a finalist for a few years, and then they they get in over guys that have been finalists or semifinalists every year since they've been eligible. Guys like Reggie Wayne, guys like um, Tory Holt, and and others. And so it's always interesting to me sometimes how some of this happens. And I'm not saying these guys aren't deserving. But it was just interesting that this was a year where when you, th- when you look at it, JT, I mean, Richard Seymour is the baby in the class. He, was, mm-hmm. he only has five years of eligibility. Mills was in his 20th. Tony Baselli and Leroy Butler, 16. Um, and then uh, Bryant Young, 10. Now, Baselli's in a separate class because he was always a Hall of Fame player, clearly, but he didn't have a long career. Mm-hmm. And he's finally, you know, finally gotten his due. So, it was, and, and no first-time eligibles. Here's a number for you, JT. This is only the third time since 1997 that there hasn't been a first-time eligible player be elected. 97, then 2012, and now this year. And what that did was it, it enabled some of these guys who have been waiting a long time uh, to get in. And I, I do think that part of it's important, but I do always wonder how a guy can be not even part of the process for – three quarters of his three quarters of his eligibility years of 20 and then all of a sudden get in in the last few and, and like I said Sam Mills this is his last year eligibility before he would have gone to the seniors pool yeah I really think what helps Richard Seymour is he came into the league with the Patriots in 2001 so he's got a rookie Super Bowl and he was a part of that early Brady run and what happened after the tuck rule and the Super Bowl and uh, and the early years of building the Patriot dynasty feels like he was rewarded for that even though Brady played so many years and ended up uh, winning seven Super Bowls Seymour and what he did to help the Patriot franchise get into Super Bowl mode that played a big role no I I think it definitely did and I also think that there was this maybe a sense through it all that obviously with, with what Brady meant to it and as great as that franchise was, there may, perhaps there was the thought, well, great team defense. You know, Bill Belichick coached that defense and they had a lot of you know, moving parts and interchangeable parts to a degree. And there wasn't that you know, one or a couple guys that you just say, oh, yeah, Hall of Famer easily. And so now you have Seymour waited a bit, you know, Ty Law, uh, preceded him uh, a few years ago. And, and talking about Ty Law, I'll tell you, the Hall of Fame, I thought, I don't know if you saw the show and if people did, but if they, if, if they didn't, check NFL Network to see if they rerun it, re- reran it. With the knock on the doors, which changed last year because the meeting mm-hmm. was done in advance of the NFL honors, and with David Baker leaving the hall, they had to come up with not David Baker knocking on the, the doors of the players' homes, which, which is what happened last year. This year, the touch that they came up with, what I, I think was brilliant, mm-hmm. is they had Hall of Famers, teammate Hall of Famers, going to the guy's house to welcome them to the Hall of Fame. And so Ty Law was at Richard Seymour's house. Uh, you know, Kurt Warner went to Dick Vermeil's 
house. Now, Tony Vincelli, it was a college teammate because there's no other Jacksonville Jaguars in the Hall of Fame. So his college teammate, Anthony Munoz, went to the house. And so what a, I thought, what a brilliant idea. I don't know whose idea it was, mm-hmm. but they did a TV show on Saturday, Saturday night with all of those emotional moments. And it was pretty incredible to watch. So uh, hats off to the Hall of Fame for that. And, you know, having Hall of Famers do it instead of just an employee of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Thank you, Howard. We'll talk to you a little bit in the offseason, but give you a nice break here. And you played such a big role for us. So thanks for doing this. Enjoy part of the offseason. And I'll see you pretty soon out there. I got a son at ASU. I'll be popping in. I owe you dinner or a breakfast when we can have a meetup. Yeah, definitely. But by the way, uh, JT, there's no such thing as an offseason. The combine starts in two <laughs> weeks, and the league right. year begins in about a month. So it's going to start getting crazy. It's not crazy already with all the rumors and quarterbacks and all that stuff. Be well, my friend. Take care. You too. Take care. Thanks, Howard. Howard Balls, are you right? He just cracked me back. The league year starting in a month and the combine in two weeks. That's why it was so important for the Raiders to get their coaching hires, to line everything up here, add the coaches that they're adding, and to do everything that they need to do. I mean, you've got to be ready for this because they got to make moves. Raiders are going to make move after move after move, you would assume, and be aggressive with Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. Uh, reached out to Phil Villapiano. He should be joining us to recap the Madden event either tomorrow or Thursday as we keep an eye on that because we want to keep talking about that. We didn't have time for Scott Kaplan. We'll try to reset him in here because when guy's late, I'm not going to say which guest is late. We had a couple of guests today. Got to move everything around, and Bobby looks at me like, uh, I go, hey, this is live radio. We got to move people around, and that's what we do here on the flagship for you. So now we're supposed to pivot and do NBA and hockey, and other sports. The Olympics is a disaster. Only story I know at the Olympics, and I do this for a living, is that the Russian figure skater who cheated with some type of heart medicine that gives you longer stamina is claiming it was her grandfather's medicine, and Russia is backing her, and the whole world knows Russia is lying. Russia's playbook is cheat, deny, and change the narrative. That's all they've ever done. And how about this for a big story? The Ukraine is claiming that Russia is going to invade tomorrow. Some people are saying that. I hope that's not the case. No one wants to see that because of the casualty count that will be. I'll keep it to sports. If that happens, everything gets whacked off of NBC because NBC will cover the war. And everything will get moved to channels you never heard of, including Peacock, which I like Peacock. I watched Yellowstone on Peacock and some other shows. So the Olympics, how crazy would it be to start a war? during the Olympic Games when your biggest star cheated and she's still competing in the snow medal ceremony. What happened to the Olympics in our lifetime? The phone booth disappeared. The Polaroid camera disappeared. The typewriter disappeared. And it feels like the Olympics are disappearing. Other than the athletes and their families. Anybody watching? God, man, remember when the Olympics was such a big part of Americana. It just doesn't seem to... I just can't find it. Don't know what time it's on. Who's competing? But, hey, that's why we'll talk LeBron. And LeBron's going to be eliminated soon. We won't be able to talk about LeBron. Hey, but tomorrow, a big day in Vegas history. Jack Eichel makes his debut for the Golden Knights. We will cover that story because he could be the difference in winning not only a cup, multiple cups in years to come. 